Welcome everyone to the Top Producer Podcast. This is uh, Paul Neifer, your host. And today we're going to have a conversation with Steve Rur from People's Company. And Steve and I have known each other. Well, man, Steve, is it 10 years now or close to 10 years? Is that sound? I'm going to go right? 10, 10, 10 to 15 right in there somewhere, yeah, Paul. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, like I say, I think I met, uh, well, well, I know I did some seminars for you on the original 14 Farm Bill, but we had met before that. Uh, it doesn't matter. You know, people aren't, don't really care uh, when Paul and Steve met, but uh, how are things <laughs> going? Going great, Paul. Just, you know, trying to figure out which way the wind's blowing right now with the economy and interest rates and, and whatnot. But no, uh, things are going well. Yeah, I think interest rates, maybe they've peaked. You know, uh, you know certainly we've seen seen a reduction. It would be nice if, uh, you know, if they dropped maybe 100 basis points. I, I, I don't know about you, Steve. I don't think we're going back to the interest rates we had during the pandemic or after the Great Recession, you know, where they really tamped it down. I, I think we're going to go back to more of a, you know, if you know, if you were able to get land loans in the three percent, maybe it's five, six percent. Uh, what what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have no aspirations that we're going to see the interest rates that we had, you know, three or four years ago. I, I definitely think, you know, there's some room for them to come off a little bit from where they're at right now. But I, I guess we're kind of prepared that they're going to stay, as they call it, higher for longer and. You know, I think the world will continue to operate pretty well if they settle in that, you know, five, six percent range. Uh, yeah. But right now where you're up in the, you know, bumping into the the eights on on mortgages and nines on operating, that that hurts a little bit. But I think if we could get, like you say, 100 basis points lower, I think the world will continue to, to function pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we functioned for, you know, 100 or 200 years uh, before rates dropped down to 3%. I think I think we'll I think we'll be able to survive. So, uh, yeah, so I think what you're really saying, Steve, is on my ground. I bought in Missouri a couple of years ago that I have a around a 3% interest rate. I probably shouldn't pay that off anytime soon. Is that is that what you're I saying? I think I'd let that one ride, Paul. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, but uh, now you know, it's been a couple of years since we did the podcast. I, I know People's Company continues to expand and add on things. So for the viewers out there, why don't you just share? Um, well, maybe let's start a little bit quickly with your background, just for those that are new listeners, who you are, where you grew up and all that stuff. And then we'll dive into People's Company a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I'll kind of tie those two together. So I'm a, a farm kid from Iowa. My family farms uh, just south of Des Moines. Uh, my dad and brother still farm together, and I get out once in a while and help out a little bit, but um, but largely focused on the the real estate business today. Uh, and and so I had an opportunity right out of college to get involved with People's Company. And last year, actually, People's Company celebrated its 50th anniversary. We started off um, as a farm management department in a bank back in the 1960s, and we were spun out of the bank in the 70s during a, a bank merger, and that's when we were incorporated as People's Company. And we historically served central Iowa, selling and managing farms throughout central Iowa. And then when I uh, came on board about 20 years ago, that's when we really started our national expansion. And uh, today we've got offices scattered throughout the country. We've got an office in your old hometown in Walla Walla <laughs> that serves the Pacific Northwest. And uh, we've got a couple offices now in California that um, um, serve that market and then an office in Michigan that serves the Lake States, and then uh, three offices actually down the Mississippi Delta now. We've gotten really active down there, and then some offices scattered throughout the Midwest. So we 
we really looked at where agricultural transactions happen around the country and we tried to get boots on the ground in all those major egg regions and have kind of a regional focus in those egg regions and and uh we do a lot of different things that involve farmland transactions we've got a, a pretty significant auction and brokerage business um, that facilitates a lot of farmland transactions and then um, our our farm management business now we're managing farms i think in 24 states uh, it's a lot of diversity to the types of crops and farming practices that we see and then uh, um, our appraisal team has um, really grown as well we work on appraisal projects all over the country and work with groups like farmer mac and and uh, large uh, law firms and trust departments and then we do a lot of the um, institutional appraisal work for the the NACREF members and uh, we've got a, a small crop insurance agency you know our crop insurance business a lot of the assets that we manage you know when we're underwriting those for clients and and how they'll perform or what they're worth you know we really look at the insurable revenue on the insurable crops on on each acre that we manage and so that's really uh, why we're in that business and about a year ago we actually launched a uh, energy management business. So I suppose that's been two years ago now. Um, and, and there's two parts to that business. We uh, manage oil and gas interest for nonprofits, foundations, institutions that um, have oil and gas interest. But then we lumped in with all the new things that are happening in wind and solar and carbon. Um, that same group um, uh, manages renewable energy projects as well. So that's been mm. kind of a fun uh, new thing that we've gotten involved in. And then the the last part of the, the 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 business is our capital markets group, and and that's uh, where I spend a lot of my time now. So we we work with groups that want to you know invest capital in farmland, and we'll help them build their farmland portfolios, and we'll do the acquisition work and the diligence work and the ongoing uh, management work, and um, help them you know deploy their capital in farmland. So that's that's the the business in a nutshell. So really what you're saying, Stevie, you don't have much time for anything else. Is that right? Well, you know, it's uh it's a little a little um aggressive at times, Paul, but we've got a we've got a great team and yeah. we've got regional offices around the country that um serve these different markets and, and so it's uh it's a lot of fun for me to to be able to travel around the country and and and, and work within these different regions and know you've got great people that are executing on the transactions. You know, in, in hockey, I think if you get a hat trick, it means you've scored three goals in the game. I think that's what it is in hockey. And it just dawned on me, you were mentioning crop insurance. I hit a hat trick in crop insurance. I'm collecting crop insurance in Washington. I'm collecting it in Missouri, and I'm collecting it in Iowa. So I'd rather not hit that hat trick, but, uh, you know, at least it's there to help me out this year. That's what it's there for. And and if you're not using it, then you're you're not using the tool that's in your arsenal for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm curious a little bit, you know, you, you've, you've expanded into California. Uh, last year, or last winter, you know, they really had a very good snowfall and, and, you know, maybe the water reservoirs are building up. But it, I'm assuming that California still has an issue with water and that's that drives the valuation of, of farmland in that area. Is, is that correct? Yeah, California is all about the water and the legislature several years ago passed that stigma, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act that, you know, basically by 2050 landowners need to, to demonstrate that their water's um, sustainable. And so that's causing a lot of a lot of different maneuvering within the, the farming industry out there. 
And that's happening at a time when you've had the massive floods that you, you saw last year, yeah. while also, you know, the, the permanent crops, uh, the almond industry, as a, for instance, is, is struggling right now. And so it's a, it's a pretty tough market to navigate right now as far as the economics go. Um, and in the water thing's interesting because, you, you know, on one hand, you've got this um, political groundwater issue that needs resolved. And at the other end of it, you've got flooding happening with too much water. And California's got plenty of water. They just don't have the, the uh, infrastructure for the reservoirs and the ability to distribute that water uh, appropriately and whatnot. So um, it's a it's a real it's a real issue. But the the reason I like California is because it's one of the most diverse regions in the country. And um, you know, in the Midwest, you know, where I grew up, it's corn and soybeans, and it's corn and soybeans, and that's yeah. that's yeah. what you've got. And there's a lot of optionality in in, in the California and the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I, I you know, my my neck of the woods, uh, my old neck of the woods, Washington State. Uh, almost grows as many crops as California. Not quite as many, but I, I think uh, I think we're pretty close to growing as many as they do. You know, the only the only thing the PNW lacks is that Mediterranean climate for almonds and pistachios, but otherwise and some stone fruit. But otherwise, uh yeah, I, I think you can grow about everything else up there. And we're actually seeing a shift of some of the acreage uh that's in California as the water gets more expensive. Uh, acres are transitioning to higher and higher value crops in California, and then some of those other crops are moving into uh, the Pacific Northwest. And 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 frankly, that's why I'm kind of bullish on on the Pacific Northwest because I think you're going to continue to see some of those acres migrate up there. And I think uh, there's the ability to expand the water in the Pacific Northwest. Now it'll be expensive, but you know that Columbia Basin project it's certainly not at capacity. They could add on another two, three, four hundred thousand acres and and bring all that underwater too. Now again, you know, politically and economically, you know, that may take 10, 15, 20 years, but uh, even with climate change, the Columbia River still seems to be a pretty good source of water. Yeah, I, I think they say less than five percent of the uh, Columbia River water is used for agriculture. So there's there's a big resource there. Yeah, yeah. I think I heard three percent even something like that. So that that may be, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, even with the increase in interest rates, which we've had now for about a year, year and a half, almost two years, land values seem, farmland values seem to be holding up. You know, I, I just saw some auction results in Iowa, dollars $20,000 per acre, uh, you know, over in uh, in Nebraska, I think it was, what, or no, excuse me, Malta Bend, Missouri was almost, was around 30,000 acre. Now I heard that was, you know, sort of a weird thing, which happens, but what what are you seeing with land value trends, farmland value trends? Maybe let's let's key in on the Midwest first, and let's talk about the Northwest, maybe California, and maybe the Lake region or or the Delta. So I'm just curious on all those regions. Yeah, it's a it's a moving target, and I I made the comment at the beginning. You know, we're trying to figure out which way the wind's blowing, and you know, when you look at farmland, uh, the reason people like farmland is it's negatively correlated or not correlated with you know the equity markets and it's positively correlated with inflation and so when you know when we had cpi in the seven eight percent range uh there was a lot of capital that was looking at farmland saying hey i i want to align myself with with farmland as an inflation hedge and so um earlier this year i was i was really bullish on where farmland values were going just because of that correlation with inflation 
And then um, as the Federal Reserve started moving interest rates up pretty hard and fast, um, you know, that that cost of capital really started to, to, you know, make me nervous on farmland values. In the summer, I would say things softened a little bit on on land values. And we saw that on some of our auction results that we we had over the summer, um, that higher interest rate environment really, you know, pulled in the reins on folks. And when you think about it, if your leverage buyers paying seven or eight percent for 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 their debt, and you're getting a two or three percent return yeah. on your farmland asset, um, you've got to really want to own that really bad um, to to be able to afford those debt levels. And then your cash buyers are sitting there um, saying, "Hey, I can get a t the their two or three percent return." And so we found ourselves in a little bit of a tough spot over the summer. Is that still that trend still there, or or is it shifting any any yet? Yeah, I I uh, I really thought that trend was still there, but um, I was just looking yesterday. We tracked uh, all the sales that we can across Iowa and Illinois and Minnesota. There was over 1,100 acres that have sold the last two weeks for over 20,000 an acre, yeah. Uh, yeah. just in the Midwest. And and so, um, you know, I'm sitting here and and I'm scratching my head because I, I really do think the world has to eventually reconcile with the new cost of capital. And as we talked earlier, um, I certainly don't think it's it's going to be at three or 4% a year from now. I think you're going to be closer to that five to 6% range. And so it feels like ultimately um, your farmland returns, those cap rates we talked about two to 3%, uh, feels like those need to move up a little bit, which ultimately means land values need to move down to to make that work. And I'm just not seeing it. And and I think what what you've got is you've got an asset class that's only leveraged at 13 to 14 percent nationwide. One uh, percent of the land hits the open market on an annual basis. Yeah. And generally speaking, farmers have great uh, pricing opportunities on their grain in 2023. And generally speaking, had really great yields, or as you suggested, crop insurance payments uh, to offset if they didn't have great yields. Uh, your spring crop insurance price on corn was about a buck higher than than, than your fall price was, and so farmers generally are going to have a good year in 2023. And so I think um, that's playing into this land market strengthening here, frankly, in the fall from where it was in the summer, as just lack of inventory. Uh, lack of alternative places you'd rather have your money and good farm profitability overall. And, and the other, the other thing I would say is there's just a, there's just a lot underlying in farmland that, you know, you get talking about the price of corn and soybeans all the time, but you've got all these renewable projects with pipelines and wind and solar. And um, there's, there's a lot of reasons to be bullish about farmland beyond just the price of corn and soybeans. And so I think, um, deep down, you know, that, that person that's saying, Hey, I can get a T bill at five and a half. Why would I take a two or a three in farmland? Well, it's because the appreciation of farmland, you know, over the, the long haul has been so steady and so consistent. I think in Iowa, we've averaged 7% over the last 20 years. So, you know, if you get 7% appreciation and, you know, 3% cash yield, you've got a 10% total return yep. that makes that T bill look kind of expensive at five and a half. Plus, and, you, and so you yeah. can't go out and walk. You can't walk a T-bill. You can go out and walk your dirt and uh, and go out and play in it too if you want to. 
walk it, hunt it, hike it, fish it, you know, drive around it. You know, there's, it'll put leverage on it, 1031 exchange in and out of it. There's yeah. just a lot of reasons why I think farmland's superior to the T-bill. But I'll tell you, there's a lot of people um, that, you know, that's an objection right now is why, why, why would I buy farmland at a three when I can get a five? And we're fighting that every day right now. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any pockets around the country that are either doing materially better or materially worse than than maybe the midwest your your fringe areas are certainly struggling you know we had a we had an auction out in the sand hills of nebraska a couple weeks ago and and i i think it comes back to if you're going to buy a farm right now and you're going to use leverage then it needs to be one that you have to own and you get into iowa illinois where you've got so much generational wealth um you know time to buy a farm is when it's for sale and so when when one comes up you know you, you got to pay what it takes to get it bought and and i think you've got the financial strength in the midwest to, to yeah. do that but you get into some of these fringier areas uh where you don't have that underlying neighbor strength and maybe some of the institutions um that have been buying or or you know struggling because they can't use leverage on their investments now some of those fringe areas, I think the market's a little weaker on your 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 B and C quality ground. And then California, as we talked about, there's there's some real stress in that market. And so I think you're going to see a lot of pressure on um, that market because to, to, when you're in the permanent crop business, you've got to farm those um, like you you you're trying to maximize the, the performance of the asset every year whether your prices are good or bad whereas in the midwest we can throttle back a little bit on our fertility or we can throttle back on how many acres we produce when you're in it on the permanent crop side you're in it and yeah. and so you're um you've got to just keep plowing ahead or you'll do permanent damage to your your plantings are, are you starting to see more and more farmland go into a, a larger solar project i, I know certainly I've talked to farmers that are considering, you know, renting their ground and, you know, the rent rates are $1,000, $1,200 an acre. Um, what are you seeing out there on the solar side? Now, we've always had the wind, you know, the wind turbines for the last 10, 12 years. That's really come into the farm area. But I think solar seems to be starting to ramp up. Are you seeing that in, in your base? We are. Um, I think the the interest rates are going to slow some of these solar projects down because it's completely changed their financial model on how they finance those projects. So I think you're going to see um, some of these renewable projects maybe struggle a little more than maybe they were a couple of years ago. Uh, but yeah, I mean these the solar payments they're attractive. I, you know, on the farms we manage, our clients are getting letters daily from you know solar developers that want to put an offer in on their land to tie it up and uh, it's 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 pretty interesting to sort through all those because there's some legitimate solar developers and then there's some non-legitimate solar developers and a lot of them are just trying to tie your land up and and hope lightning strikes and and then there's other projects that are real um, but when you get into the understanding those leases those those payments look really attractive a thousand eleven hundred bucks an acre uh, but you know when you start to think about you know, farms that are renting at 400, 450 bucks an acre, it doesn't take long when you start to model out where your rent would cross over what your solar payment would be, say in year 10 or year 11. And 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 now you've got a farm that's got a solar panel on it instead yep. of a farm that's growing 250 bushel corn. And 
I think those I think those solar projects are going to struggle in the Midwest. You know, they want to be on um, flat land, and yeah. and uh, I I just think they're going to have a hard time attracting the the acres they want. Whereas you get out into you know Baca County, Colorado, as a for instance, outside of um, Denver, where um, a lot of that ground is sagebrush and whatnot. Yeah. That's a great place to put solar. Yeah. As long as you have the infrastructure, you know, substation or a good power line nearby, uh, yeah, you're right. And Colorado's, I mean, I live here now and it's sunshine all the time. I mean, you have a few days where it's gray, but uh, I mean, we probably to some degree on that Eastern plains of Colorado have some of the most consistent sunshine in the U S yeah, no, it's a, uh, I, I, I think, I think the industry will sort itself out, um, but I, I know we've struggled to um, justify, uh, rightfully so, I think, putting solar on high-quality Midwest farm ground, and I think we all ask ourselves that. Is that really the highest and best use for it? And and I do think there's places like Colorado where you don't have the productive capacity that you've got in the Midwest, and you've got a huge population center there, and um, those are great places to put solar projects. Now... I think uh, Steve will take a a quick break for a sponsored message now, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about uh, the Land Investment Expo that you've been associated with for many years, and we'll have a discussion on that. That sounds great, Paul. How many years away is the long run for a farmer? Five years? Ten years? Top producers like Hans Reinchi of Blue Diamond Farming Company in Jessup, Iowa, know Robo Finance shares his enduring vision for the future. Whether it's building our grain site or if it's purchasing the next field, we're able to turn to Robo as a trusted partner to help us get financing to make those generational decisions. With unmatched financial capacity, local relationship managers, and a global network of sector experts to offer market guidance, Robo Agri Finance provides enterprising farmers with a personalized approach to lending and financial services. Growing a better world together, Robo Agri Finance. Welcome back, everyone, to the Top Producer Podcast. This is uh, Paul Dieter, your host, and we're going to rejoin our conversation with Steve Burr from People's Company. So, Steve, how many years have you been associated with the Land Investment Expo? You know, Paul, this will be our 17th year of hosting the, the Land Expo. It's hard to believe. And and I remember when it was at the, was it the, oh, I'm trying to remember, was it the Double Tree or what What was the, before you moved downtown, what was the hotel? Yeah, we, we, we had our first one at the West Des Moines Marriott and then it moved over to the Sheraton and then uh, over to Prairie Meadows and then, and then now we're at the Iowa Event Center downtown. So it's, it's kind of moved around through the years as it's grown. Yeah, I think I remember, I think it was the Sheraton, uh, the last one or two, you have the lunch and you can barely move between the tables. So it was getting pretty crowded. So, uh, so typically when it's downtown now, how many attendees do you usually have show up for that? Yeah, last, last year we had 1200 in person and we had another four or 500 online. And, and so, um, yeah, it's turned into a, a pretty significant event for folks in the agricultural industry that have connection to land. I, I know I've spoken at it a few times on some breakout sessions. Now, I will admit this year, Steve, I'm I'm in Hawaii with my family 
and I may not be able to make it because you put it too soon in the month of January. It used to be a little later, but uh, I, I may not be able to make it this year. So uh, now who who are sort of your keynote speakers for the event this year? Yeah, we've got a, a really just diverse set of keynote speakers. Um, a, a couple that I'm, I'm real excited about. Uh, we've got Thomas Honig, who... Uh, was the past Kansas City Federal Reserve president, and and he served going all the way back to Paul Volcker in the ooh, '80s, ooh. Uh, and then and then also served under Alan Greenspan, and then he served under Ben Bernanke, uh, and and I just read a book that he he published uh, called The Lords of Easy Money. It's a phenomenal read, and it, and it really talks about his experience serving under these different. Federal Reserve presidents, and and you know if you want to understand how the monetary system works in the United States. It's a great read. And Thomas actually had the most dissenting votes in Fed history against Ben Bernanke <laughs> on quantitative easing. Um, and and at the time, I think, you know, his fellow FMOC board members looked poorly upon those dissenting votes because the Fed always tries to be in unison. And I think today with the inflation that we're seeing, um, you know, his dissenting votes are looking like that was probably the right move at the time and maybe the other fed presidents should have followed along so uh but it's a great book uh um, the lords of easy money thomas honig and and um encourage your your listeners to to read that but i think we couldn't have a more timely guy to be yeah. on the program than than tom given what we're going through and then his his predecessor was esther george yeah. um who's also past president of the federal reserve bank of kansas city and esther just stepped down um as well so we're going to actually have them together um, being interviewed by Eric O'Keefe with the Land Report and just really excited to, to hear what they have to say. I had a phone call with them a couple months ago and we lined this up and um, to listen to them debate Fed policy and not, um, you know, be at the FMOC or at the Federal Reserve anymore. They can talk pretty openly. And, yep. and I think our I think our guests are going to love hearing from them. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> another just completely hot issue right now in our world is foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. And so we've got a panel discussion uh, on foreign farmland ownership. Harrison Pittman, he's the director of the National Egg Law Center at the University of Arkansas. Uh, he and a colleague, Micah Brown, are going to uh, serve on a panel with David Bergvall with uh, Manulife Investment Management. And I think that foreign ownership panel is going to be really interesting. And then we've got uh, Assemblyman Gallagher from California. Um, he's a, a farmer from the Fresno area and um, got frustrated with a lot of the, um, you know, policy issues and political issues in California and decided to run for um, state representative. And, and now he's a, a really outspoken voice fighting for agriculture. And, you know, my observation is a lot of the issues that um, hit in California ultimately impact all of us in agriculture. Yep. And so really excited to have uh, uh, him on the program. And I, I found him, uh, I saw an interview of, of him talking about this very issue and, and, and I clicked on it. And, you know, 60 minutes later, I was just enthralled with, with his story and the issues that they're facing in, in California. And so... Uh, that that video is on our our social media channels if anybody cares to to watch that. And then we've got um, uh, Willis Sparks. He's with the Eurasia Group. Uh, he's a geopolitical 
uh, speaker, and so he'll he'll cover some of the the issues that we're dealing with in Israel and the Gaza Strip and Ukraine and Russia, and and some of those geopolitical factors. And then uh, lastly, uh, you know, another hometown guy for you, Drew Bledsoe <laughs> um, from Walla Walla. Yeah. Um, you know, NFL quarterback lost his starting job to Tom Brady and um, retired from the NFL and got in the wine business. But he's a, a Walla Walla uh, farm kid, and but he's built a really successful wine um, business. And so excited to hear his story and have him on the program. So really fired up, Paul, uh, about the agenda this year. And we're still rounding it out. Uh, the the presidential debate is going to be in Iowa, um, the, the evening of the land expo. So, uh, it'll be, it'll be a little bit of a circus around, um, our event with all the political figures and national media transcended on Des Moines. And then, um, uh, the caucuses are a week later. So it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a pretty fun time to be in Iowa. Well, my memory is, you know, when, Donald Trump, wasn't he at the Land Investment Expo and sort of announced his presidential or, or something? Or do I have that wrong, Steve? You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there was some timing on that or something like that. Yeah, we had Trump. I, I joke around that we were Trump's last paid speech before he announced he was running for president. But <laughs> he uh, he spoke in 2016 and he didn't announce his candidacy, but he certainly uh, was pretty strategic about <laughs> being at an agricultural conference in Iowa. Um, dipping his toe in the water and and raising awareness that he was serious about running for president. And at the time, I don't think anybody thought he was serious. And of course, I'm sitting here thinking, well, why else would he accept my invitation to speak <laughs> at the Land Expo if he's not serious about uh, you know running for president? So, uh, yeah, it was that was a really fascinating. We could uh, we could do an entire podcast on. Uh, our interaction with with President Trump yeah. um, that was a pretty fascinating uh, time. Well, it'd just be interesting if we have Trump and Biden and Manchin. I think Manchin's going to run as an independent. Uh, you know, Manchin will be the youngest uh, one in that three groups at age seventy seven. I think so. Uh, uh, you know, next year is going to be a very interesting year politically, and we'll try not to have a political discussion here, but it, it'll just be interesting what will happen. Well, I'll tell you, you know, and I, we take a, we take a, a little bit of heat for bringing in some politicians from time to time from attendees, but um, it's, you know, Iowa's the epicenter for, you know, agriculture. It's the epicenter for uh, where the political process starts to elect the next president of the United States. And it's, it's just natural that, that we tackle some of these issues. And uh, last year we had Vivek Ramaswamy on the program, who's also running for president yeah. right now. Yeah. And um, we had Frank Luntz, the political correspondent on the program. And ironically, Frank, um, during his presentation, somebody reminded me of this last week. Uh, Frank predicted that Menachin would run as an independent for president at the at the Land Expo last year. So <laughs> it is it is kind of fun to to you know put ourselves in the middle of that circus and yeah. um connect with some of those folks and and uh but it, to your point it's it's hard to believe um uh, that uh, we may be looking at the same ticket that we were looking at last election yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know a lot can change between now and now and the election yeah um for those that are interested in attending the expo uh, how would they sign up for it or what's the date and uh, just just for the listeners out there let them know how they can attend it if they want to yeah if you go to landinvestmentexpo.com uh, you can buy your tickets on there and 
Uh, I think actually, depending on when this airs, uh, our, our best ticket price is during our little Black Friday special. So folks have an opportunity to, to get on there and, and get their tickets. That's the best opportunity to get them bought. And it's a, it's an event that, you know, people come to and the networking and the people you bump into and the deals that happen when you're at the event are, are really, uh, it's what it's all about. So I think uh, your, your, your guests would really enjoy attending. I remember, uh, oh, this is probably six, seven years ago. I was, you know, mingling with the people and, and there was an older gentleman, you know, even older than me, which is getting pretty old. And, um, and we just happened to hit up a conversation and I was asking him what he's doing here. And he says, oh, I, I, you know, I got some farmland. My son wanted to get into farmland and, you know, and farming. And so I, I got some land for him and, and I go, well, okay, expand on that a little bit. Well, how much, how many acres is he farming? Oh, you know, it's sort of small. It's like 35,000 acres. So you know, it's, oh, wow. yeah, it's uh, interesting. The the people that you run into at the, at the land investment expo. And actually the last time I attended, uh, I ran into somebody that uh, his kids and my kids went to the same uh, um, uh, grade school and high school together. So that was, that was sort of interesting to run into somebody I knew. So well, good, Steve. Yeah, I, it, it, it's turned into a national audience, and, and it is fun to hear, you know, all year long I hear, well, I met so-and-so at your expo, and I bought a farm from him, or I leased a farm from him, and, and uh, it's, it's great to hear those stories coming out of the event. Yeah, no, totally agree. Well, again, Steve, thanks for taking time out of your day to have a discussion with me, and certainly this won't be the last time we do a podcast. That sounds great. I appreciate you including me, Paul. Okay, this is the... Uh, top producer podcasts and this is Paul Neefer your host signing off. Mm-hmm.